0: morning, please stay standing as we read God's word this morning. We are going to be reading from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your love for us, the fact that you sent your son pay the price for our sins on the cross Father we are ever grateful Lord And Lord just rejoice in the fact that we can sing hallelujah to you because you have saved us so I pray this morning Lord that we would look to you, look to your son who you sent to this earth so that we would know him and follow him Lord, may your word and may the ministry of your spirit work on our hearts. Lord, and just impress upon us the, the joy and the gravity of the gospel. So Lord, we just pray these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. All right, it's good to see you guys here this morning. My name is... Pastor Chad. I'm the teaching pastor. We can be praying for uh, Pastor Josh. He is finishing up. He is preaching at a marriage conference. He and Danielle are teaching at a marriage conference this weekend, and then he is preaching at Park Church, so be in prayer for him as well. And uh, so I get the privilege to preach here this morning. And so we get the privilege of starting our new series, The Road to Easter. And thankfully, right, this weekend... We actually had hope of Easter coming and warmer weather, right? And living in Iowa, right, you you get the joy of experiencing Easter in one of three seasons. Sometimes you get Easter in spring when it should be. Sometimes you get it in winter, and every once in a while it feels like summer. But, right, that's the joy of living in the Midwest, living in Iowa. But we are going to be starting this new series, The Road to Easter, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through portions of the gospel of Luke and look at the life of Jesus and look at different parts as we lead up to the time when we get to celebrate together as a church the fact that our Savior not only died on the cross and was buried, but that he rose again on the third day and that we serve a risen Lord. Amen? And so that's what we're going to be leading up to. And so I'm excited to be able to get us started this morning. And so we're going to look, not actually at Jesus this morning, we are going to look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. And so this morning we are going to look, and the title of the message is just preparing the way of truth. And so this is John the Baptist and his ministry as he... Prepares the way for Jesus to come. And so, just to give you guys a little setting of where that we are, we are coming right at the very beginning of the New Testament. So the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, it was about four hundred and thirty years, written about four hundred and thirty years previously. And so as we look at Israel and the John the Baptist as he starts his ministry there had been what is referenced the 400 silent years from when the last prophet spoke in Israel and to the people as they had been exiled and captured and defeated and then come back to try and build the temple and the, and the city. And so Israel again, at this point, finds themselves again under oppression and under foreign rule as the Romans are currently over them. And so they are, Beat down. Things are not the way they would want them to be. Their religion and the Pharisees has taken a turn for the worse. And people are searching. And so this is where we find John the Baptist coming. There had not been a prophet for over 400 years. And so this is the coming of John the Baptist in the New Testament. And if you want to read, you can read through John chapter 1 to see the prophecy is the angel prophesied to Zechariah that he would have a son, that Zechariah was a faithful servant of the Lord and he was, him and his wife were without child and an angel appeared and told them that he would have a son and that he would name him John and what we often remember about Zechariah that he didn't believe the angel right away and so he was mute until after his son was born and so he went like a year without being able to talk and you can read through the amazing account of John the Baptist as he, the, the foretelling of his birth and just how God worked and just the amazing prophecy that his father spoke after John the Baptist was born. And so it's setting this stage. People are excited because maybe they realize that God was starting to speak to them again because Zachariah had seen an angel. And so this is where we're at in Luke three. And so John the Baptist is who we're, like I said, we're we're looking at. And he was a prophet. He was known, right, for being a little bit different. All right? He was the opposite of seeker-sensitive ministry. He was living out in the wilderness. And sometimes you see people will read verses, right, and they'll try and develop new plans or diets or different things based off the Bible. I remember for a time there was a Daniel plan, just, you know, eat vegetables, drink water, everything will be good for you. And there are other things. People pick out different prayers. There hasn't been a whole lot of people who have chosen the John the Baptist method, or if they have, it hasn't gone well or sold many books. All right, John the Baptist lived out in the wilderness. He wore a coat of camel hair, and he wore a leather belt. And you're like, well, what's important about that? Well, it's just he was coming in the appearance of a prophet, just as Elijah was in 2 Kings. Um, some people think camel hair is super itchy. I guess it's, it's not. Um, But I don't have any camel hair, so I couldn't bring any. I would have worn my camel hair this morning if I had any. But Natalie has not gotten me any of that for Christmas. So, but he would wear camel hair, had a leather belt. And then, like I said, nobody has proposed the John the Baptist diet, which was eating wild locust and honey. All right? And so, I mean, maybe, maybe the locust with honey would be okay. I'm not sure. Um, I have a son who... He wouldn't eat any of his vegetables unless, I mean, he'd eat some of his vegetables, but he would eat anything if we put honey on his plate. He would dip anything in honey, broccoli, peas, green beans. With honey, it was good. So, I mean, maybe this is a good diet idea. I don't know. We'll have to check the nutritional values later. But John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, waiting for the time he was going to begin his public ministry when God told him to go preach a message of Repentance. And this is where we find John. He is in, he is the first 14 verses of this passage that we won't cover, which much to my kids' joy, because when they thought originally I was going to preach the whole chapter of Luke 3, they're like, oh no, we're never getting out of church today. But I'm only doing five verses, so we're good. We're safe. I made it through first service and we got out on time. So, uh, but we, the first 14 verses talk about John and his ministry he shared and he preached a message of repentance. He preached that we are sinners and to repent means to completely turn away from sin. Not just to say sorry and move a little forward or not just to feel bad about your sin, but to actually repent, realize the seriousness of your sin, the seriousness of your sin and turn from it and change your mind. And so that was what John was preaching. He was preaching this message, and he was preaching, and he was baptizing people. He was baptizing them to identify with that message that they needed to repent from their sins, and that baptism, as he noted, was with water, and it was to identify with that message. It was important, but it was just a symbol of what was taking place. So, as we look at this passage, I just want to look at three aspects of the ministry of John as he prepared the way of truth. And the first thing is, and we see that the three aspects of this is the search for truth. All right. And you see this in verse 15. It says the people were in expectation and they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And so they were, people were coming to hear John, to hear him preach. And again, John right? He was the one to prepare the way. He was to set it forward. Just like if you were here last week, you saw a lot of the preparation to make the entryway in the back look a lot nicer, right? With the nice shiny floors. Or he he was sent ahead to prepare. Or if you take road trips in Iowa, if you drive on an interstate, if you've ever seen the guide cars, right? That drive ahead of a large load, right? And they say oversized load. So it's just, I always thought that would be It's like, man, I wonder what kind of job that is, or hey, you get the job that you just drive in a car in the interstate just saying, hey, there's somebody behind me with an oversized load, so watch out, all right? And that is, that's their job. They're preparing the way, they're letting you know an oversized load is coming, and when you get bored, right, driving, like, especially when you're going the opposite way, and I see the oversized load car coming, I was like, oh, man, I wonder what's coming, because, you know, you can't do much else while you're driving, and... Unfortunately, in Iowa, normally it's just another part of a windmill, a blade. So it's not too exciting. You're like, ah. Oh. But every once in a while, you see like the overzealous guide car driver. Like you see him pass the other way, and you're like, oh, man, I wonder what's coming. And you've like been driving for like 10, 15 minutes. You're like, dude, I've seen nothing but cars and vans. Where is this oversized load? And so then you start to wonder, like, is there an oversized load, or is he just like abusing the privileges of being an oversized car driver? I don't know what you call that position. The guy who drives the guide car, you know, he's just using it to get someplace faster. I don't know if they're allowed to speed, probably not. But anyways, I always like to look, And but the point of those guys is to point to something bigger and more important behind them so that you're aware. And this is what John the Baptist was doing. He was coming. He is not the Messiah. John 1 is very clear. It says he is not, John the Baptist is not the light. He came to testify about the light. And so John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, to get people ready. And people were searching. All right, people are born with an innate desire to know more. And this is these people were not searching because of something that John did. This was something that was in their hearts already. There is something, there is an absence they were looking and searching. As we told they were They were living in oppression under Roman rule. They were not as free as they would like to be. They wanted to be saved. They wanted someone to come and to change and to help their life. They were looking for a savior. But if we're all honest, even in our own lives, we are all looking for something like that. We are all looking for something to complete our life or to fulfill it or to make us satisfied. It was no different in John the Baptist day and it's no different now. And so the people showed up with expectation, questioning in their hearts. They're like, maybe, maybe they were waiting for the Messiah. Maybe you are the Messiah. They were looking at John and asking if he was. But as with these people, when we are looking for something to satisfy our hearts and when we are looking for something to fulfill us or to save us, too often we set our sights far too low. We look at someone else to fulfill the role of Savior. We look at another person to fulfill it. Unfortunately, like in in today's day and age, we look to technology, to phones, to other interactions to fulfill the void that we are searching for, for complete or for salvation. We look too low and are too easily satisfied with things that are not meant to save us or to fulfill our lives. And these people were no different. They were looking, they were searching, they were waiting in expectation. And the next thing we see after the search for truth and where we'll spend the bulk of our time is the message of truth. And as they looked at John and said, are you the Messiah? Are you Jesus? Are you the coming one? He said, no, I am not the Messiah. He's like, I baptize you with water, but one who is mightier than I is coming. And he's doing his job of preparing the way. He said, somebody who is far, far, far greater than me is coming. So much greater that I am not even worthy to untie his sandal. And back then, he was trying to paint a picture. Like, that was the most, that was the lowliest job you could do, right? Is to wash someone's feet. That's why it was so powerful when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And you can imagine why that was a lowly job, right? I mean, do any of you have like a desire to wash other people's feet? No. Okay, good. I don't know. It's a non-reaction. I would guess that the answer is no. If we posted a job, Living Waters Feet Washer, that nobody would apply. All right? Because it's kind of gross and we wouldn't want to do it. But John is painting the picture that he didn't even consider himself worthy to do that for Jesus. Like he could not even come close enough to do that for him because how much greater Jesus was than John was. And he, this, is the, so, this is the message of the truth that we learn from John is that it's never about us. It is to point people to Jesus and this is what John does and in contrast Herod and there's a lot of Herods in the New Testament this is a different Herod than the Herod mentioned here but a Herod in Acts later on in Acts he was speaking to a group of people that were trying to win his favor and in speaking to them these people claimed and called out like this is a voice of a God speaking to us and do you think that Herod turned down that praise no he soaked it all in And God struck him down with, and he died the next day from a painful death with with worms because he did not submit to God and he tried to take credit for being a God. And so John the Baptist is the opposite. He is clearly pointing people to Jesus. And so the message of truth is what John clearly proclaims here. He says that I can only baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John is saying my baptism is a symbol. It is a symbol of the message of repentance that I am preaching, and it is good, but I have no control over your eternal soul. The one who is coming, he is the one who offers salvation. He has baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. His baptism is complete. His baptism is eternal. And this is the message that is speaking. And as you look at it, as you read through it, it says the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And there are people who go back and forth. Is this one baptism, two baptisms? What is this talking about? And we will get to that. And I often had thought about it as maybe one baptism because I would think of Acts and the Holy Spirit descending on the apostles as flames. But as you read in context, this is talking most likely about two baptisms. That Jesus didn't just come to bring salvation, but he also came to judge. And you see this clearly in verse 17. Because it talks about that Jesus stands with a winnowing fork. All right, and many of you, I don't know, does anybody know what a winnowing fork is? All right, I did bring a prop today. This is my, it's not mine, this is Pastor Rob's, winnowing fork. It's not really a winnowing fork. When I asked if he had one that I could borrow, and he said yes, I thought, because maybe they used to live out in the country, so I thought maybe we'd have one. I didn't realize how short it would be, because some people thought maybe I was going to like recreate American Gothic and stand, but that would, I would have to be like four foot two Maybe. Maybe even that, I don't so no, that, know, that wouldn't work, plus Natalie's not here, plus that wasn't a husband and wife, so all those break down, but a winnowing fork, and this is a good one, except for the fact that it's so short for me, um, and it, like I said, it looks like it's been used and or left out in the rain, one of the two, so uh, we can ask Rob about that later, but a winnowing fork was something that they used in the Old Testament to, we- to weed out the wheat from the chaff, to separate the two things. And so, again, I am basing this all off of reading because I have never done this before. I do not have a wheat field, and I have never winnowed. So, But what they would do is they would pile all the wheat after they harvested it, and they would take these forks that had flat tines to catch some of it but not all. They would stick it in and throw it up in the air, and then the wind would blow through, and the chaff would be separated. All right, and so the chaff, which apparently when you're you don't want chaff in with the wheat because that would make the wheat worse. I don't know if you like wheat or not, but anyways, if you you don't want that in with the wheat, and so they would keep doing this and separating it, and you see what John says, and this is the gravity of the picture of the gospel. He says Jesus, or he says he will stand with his winnowing fork in his hand to completely clear the threshing floor of wheat. He said, the wheat will be separated into my barn. The chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. And this is the seriousness of the gospel message. Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Spirit and those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and know him. Get to go with him in glory. But the opposite of that is also true. That if you do not accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you face eternal punishment. And so Jesus is, as it talks about baptizing in the Holy Spirit and fire, either you will spend eternity in heaven with God, or you will spend eternity in eternal punishment. He clears the entire threshing floor. No one, there is no middle ground, right? It's not like as I look out at you guys and so the people on the right, they're going to be good. The people on the left are going to punishment and I don't mean that by who I'm looking at so don't take offense. And the people in the middle are just, you know, it's okay, we'll see what happens. You just get middle ground, it's okay. Everyone in this building faces one of those two eternal destinies. Everybody. It's there is no middle ground. Jesus did not come to be a good moral teacher. He is the savior of the world, and he will either be your savior or he will be your judge. There is no dif- there is nothing in between there. And I just want to read you a quote from from C. S. Lewis in talking about that, because so many people try and say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a good guy. You can kind of accept him, and if you want to believe that, that's great. And if you don't, you can just hold to him being a good teacher, and that'll be fine, too. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's is an poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is the savior of the entire world. Romans 4.12 said that there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow. This isn't just people who go to church or people who hear this. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus. And either you are going to be bowing in praise or you are going to be bowing in, as you are judged and go to eternal punishment. And that, as I reflected this week, this is what stuck out to me. How often do I take for, for granted the message of the gospel? How often do I overlook the seriousness of that language? It, it says that that word completely clear or to clear out mean, is only used twice in the New Testament. And again, it means to completely clear. That judgment covers everyone. Not just some people, everyone. All of us here today, everyone that has walked the face of the earth is either going to spend eternity with God or spend eternity in judgment. And it says the chaff faces unquenchable fire. And John preached that message clearly. And as you stop to reflect on that part, it is very heavy. And it's supposed to be. But the, the amazing thing is that it is also the best news. Because it didn't stay that way. He didn't leave us without hope. He came to save us from our sins. And that anyone, right, anyone who claims the name of Jesus, who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, John 1.12 says he gives the right to be the Son of God. And the reason why it is such great news is because of what he saved us from. And so we should let the gravity of eternal judgment weigh on us, but not weigh on us to depress us. It should weigh on us to give us joy in what God has done for us and motivation to share the truth with all who are here. This message of truth is true. It's not an opinion. It is not because I like it or somebody else. It is the gospel. It is the good news that God gave. And that is the most important part as we look through this passage. And so we see the search for truth, the message of truth, and we just, the last thing we see is the response to truth. And and you see that John continued, it says in verse 18, he said, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. All right, and I said, this is, this is like the preacher's favorite verse because it says many other exhortations, all right? And it went over as well here as it did the first service. Nobody liked it. Apparently you have to be a preacher. So, all right, he, he, he continued to exhort, he continued to preach, he continued to go on and share the good news, all right? And he shared the good news with others and preached the gospel. And again, I hope that the seriousness of it does weigh on you, but I hope that you don't go away from here just depressed, that you do go away with the good news that we could never pay the debt for our sin. Each one of us in this room was born a sinner. But Jesus took that penalty, took the weight of that eternal punishment upon himself. And John was pointing forward to that. We get to look back at the accomplished work. And he was pointing that, and that's why it's good news, but it is only good news if you accept it. And so he went through, and then it says, we look at the response, and so there's, you could look at a lot of different responses, but I just want to focus on a on a couple. We look at Herod's response. And again, there are a lot of Herods, and the Herods had a messed up life, there's, And you can study that. We're not going to go through all of the different Herods in the New Testament or how this got messed up. But suffice it to say that John preached the truth of God's word. Herod had stolen his brother's wife, which you probably don't even need a Bible to know that that's not right. Okay? Most brothers are not okay with that. Most people are not okay with that kind of thing happening. He stole his brother's wife and John rebuked him for it, as he should have. All right, John wasn't rebuking Herod because he's like, I don't like your tax system or I don't like how you're doing things. He rebuked him for breaking the clear moral law of God. And he rebuked him for the other evil things that he did, to which Herod threw him in prison because he could and he didn't like it. And so he, Herod was intrigued, all right? And you read about it. He was intrigued by John. He put him in prison, but he didn't want to kill him. The only reason he ended up killing him is because this wife that he stole from his brother requested it, and he, he, he feared people more than he feared God. And so he ended up beheading John the Baptist, and that is another story we can go into some other time, but he ended up doing that, and he he did not respond well to the gospel message. He rejected it. And you look through, you know, he put him in, in prison, he was... He was even in, he was also intrigued by Jesus. It says in Luke nine, he's like, "Oh, I've, I hear that Jesus is doing miracles. Some people say he's John the Baptist risen from the dead that I beheaded." And he he wanted it said he wanted to see Jesus, but he never did. And so that want was just kind of like an intention. He didn't really want to see Jesus because he actually he never actually made any effort to go see him. He the only time he saw Jesus is when Pontius Pilate sent Jesus to him the day he was tried and crucified. And the only reason Herod wanted to see him on that date is, was to see if he could see him do a sign or a miracle. And so while he had intrigue, he had no repentance. Then you look at the people that came out to see John the Baptist. Some of them probably repented. Others of them were just intrigued by this man that was out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and preaching, and they just wanted to see him. The Pharisees also were intrigued by John at the beginning. Jesus said in John 5 that they rejoiced in John's light for a small time, that they were interested in him. But then once they realized that he wasn't going to conform to what they wanted, they rejected John as well. All these people that were intrigued or looking into it, it doesn't matter how intrigued you are, if you never repent of your sins, you will still end up in judgment. Whether you were interested or whether you were trying your best to live well, if you do not repent and turn to Jesus, there is no payment for your sin. And so, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And the plea this morning is if you have never made that decision or if you have questions, is that you would talk to somebody. And the Holy Spirit is working in hearts all across the world, pointing them to the fact that they have sinned and that they fall short. And the only answer for that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can pay the penalty for those sins, and he has done that. And so if you don't if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you have never repented and turned fully to him, I would plead with you to do so, to talk to myself or one of the other pastors or anyone else here that, you have questions that we can continue to share you the truth of the gospel. And then, if you are like me, the Holy Spirit has convicted me greatly this week on the seriousness of the gospel. How often do I look at the people I work with? How often do I look at everybody and just ignore the fact that we are all eternal souls? And that we all face an eternal destiny. And again, I cannot save anyone. All I can do is what John did, which is share the truth. Right? He said it when John 1, 6, again, it said, 1, 6 through 8, it says, John was not the light. He came to testify about the light. And as a believer in Christ, that is our our job and our goal is to testify about all that Jesus has done, whatever opportunities we get. And just as, as we close, I just will read from 2 Peter 3. Second Peter 3, because how do we live in light knowing this, knowing what God is doing, the fact that there is salvation, the fact that there is judgment. And Peter talks about this, knowing that the world is, In Noah's day was destroyed by a flood. And he said, uh, he says in 2 Peter 3, talking about the flood in verse 6, he says, and that by the means of these, by water, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, when the heavens will pass away as a roar, and the heaven bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the newer. We live in light of the judgment and we live in light of the good news. And we have good news and we have a Lord who is merciful and patient. And so May God use his word and the testimony and the example of John the Baptist to encourage us to share the truth of that with others, wherever he opens doors, and that we would do so in a way that honors God, that we would be ready, as it talks about in 1 Peter, to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. And again, not that we, you know, as we go through and sometimes the gravity of all of this and... You know, it's not like you need to go out and start yelling at your neighbors, and you know, like, well, John rebuked Herod, and so I need to just start going, you know, counting up all my neighbor's sins and telling him those. No, you just need to testify to what God has done in your life, and He will open doors. And you need to testify and share the truth of God's love and of the reality of sin, and share that because Matthew made it very, or Jesus made it very clear in Matthew seven. Like, you need to spend your focus working, working on the plank in your own eye before you start helping anyone else with their own issues. And so may we look at our own lives, look at what God has done, and share how he has helped us and changed us, repent of our sin, and then be willing to help others and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I will pray as the music team comes up and as we close in song, but just be thinking of those things as we pray. And just think of the gravity and then of the joy of the good news of the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending John to prepare the way for your son. Thank you for using him to boldly proclaim your word. And Lord, while all of us are not called to be prophets, we are all called to testify to what you have done for us. Because your name is above all names. And Lord, at at your name, every knee will bow. And so Lord, we we look forward to the day we can rejoice with you in heaven, Lord. And I pray that if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, that your spirit will work in their hearts to see the truth of your word that you alone can satisfy. And so Lord, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your patience towards us. As we grow, as we stumble, and as we make progress, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to continue to lean on you, to lean on the truth of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.